the Corinthian community to whom Paul was writing in that second reading of ours, that community was very familiar with the successes of the Roman Empire and its prominent figures, especially like decorated soldiers and civil leaders, for they would erect these massive monuments. And then on the monuments, they would list all of their accomplishments. That way, the ordinary folk in Corinth could then celebrate their accomplishments, give a tribute to the victors, and share in their glory. Kind of like many of us did last night with the Chiefs. Or some did last week with K-State. It's nice those fans had the opportunity every five or ten years. (laughs) But it seems that the Christians in Corinth had transferred this long-held Roman habit to the very different reality of the church. They had begun to exalt in certain ministers, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Peter. They were creating distinctions by promoting their own guy in opposition to the others, making Christianity about a particular preacher or his personality by losing sight of the one who is of fundamental importance. I mean, church shopping or attending the place with the preacher you prefer or affording the one that you don't, well, that's nothing new in Christianity. Paul is better. No, Apollos is. No, Cephas. He's the best, and I, I belong to him. I mean, it's no wonder Paul was concerned because clearly divisions were emerging from this profound misunderstanding. Now, it seems to me that Paul begins to correct this with the ironic last addition to his list, I belong to Christ. And you're making the gospel and the church a merely human affair, he appears to be saying. So I'll just list Christ as though he's no different than any of the others to point this out to you. This reminded me of a recent email correspondence, a series of emails that I had with someone, not a parishioner here. And he was making certain points or arguing certain points, one of which was about parish boundaries. And at that point in the correspondence, I thought, okay, this is not going anywhere. I'm going to set it aside. But what I thought is, he said, parish boundaries, those are just man-made things. And I thought, well, kind of. But you could draw a direct line from parish boundaries all the way back to that event that we heard in the gospel today of Jesus calling those men where they were at, and they left their livelihood, their family, and followed him, which soon resulted in their being sent out to the entire world to proclaim his gospel. Parish boundaries are simply the systematic proclamation of the gospel, a way in which the gospel is systematically proclaimed. It's no mere human endeavor. Don't lose sight of that. You are not here by accident. This is not happenstance. This is not of human origin. You are here out of God's design. It's hard because we're so easily influenced by all those non-supernatural worldviews. A church, it's just a bureaucracy. It's just a society of like-minded individuals who gathered together. They could do that or they could go out fishing. It doesn't matter. You know, to counteract that and, you know, to take our place in this call, last weekend I talked about being intentional with our following of Christ, our discipleship. How every year what I'd like us to do is make commitments, good faith goals, be intentional 
with what we're doing. You know, if you were here last week, and bear with me just for a little bit, I won't go into it in full detail, but occasionally there are people who are not here every weekend. If you could pass these down the pews, and these first pews are in the center, and the last pews are at the side. These little pamphlets. Again, this is principally so we don't miss the one who has called us, that we're intentional in our response. But also it helps us to keep our rosters clean, to be active. It's a way that I'm able to designate people as active parishioners so that if I get a call, you know, is this person active? Can they be a godparent? I can say yes. But, you know, I've broken down the life of the parish into these four areas that you see on the inside left. Those correspond to teachings of John Paul II that you can find elsewhere. These are not exhaustive lists, but are intended just to help families talk about these things and create some goals. You can write the goals down on this bottom left-hand side for your safekeeping. Um, on the opposite side, that's for our record, so you can turn that into the parish office or in the collection basket. Um, you can mail it in if you wanted to, and we did send out an email. This intersection about tithing, that's like for ordinary operations. That's not your capital campaign pledge. Um, your energy and your time and your funds can be used in no higher way than at the service of the gospel. Now, obviously, I can't force everyone to do it. I, I do have some leverage with like Catholic school families, religious ed families, you know, so we've got to have that. So I'd love to have you fill, fill it out. I mean, if you don't, I mean, I'll still give you last rites. You know? <laughs> Try to find something nice to see at your funeral. <laughs> it's a way to help us be accountable to one another intentional. So please, if you would give this some consideration and don't underestimate the value of doing this, of listening to that prompting that comes to you. I'll close with this just to illustrate the point. On Friday, I was at a funeral for a friend of mine, died of cancer, a former parishioner. She was 40 years old. Okay. She left her husband and three young kids. The oldest is fourth grade. The youngest is pre-K. I saw her just two days before she died, her and her husband. And I asked her husband, you know, how are your spirits? How are you doing? And he said, you know, I, I know this is going to be terribly sad. He said, but I feel like we're pretty well prepared. I'm pretty well prepared for that day. He said, because I have been watching for these three years what my wife does with our kids and gradually begun to take that on so that when she's gone, I'm able to provide what they need. I thought that's remarkable. And I asked him about that at the funeral, after the funeral. And he said, I would trace that all the way back to when I was still non-Catholic. And I was going to mass with Megan, his wife. And he said, there was a parish choir and everybody was invited to participate, even non-Catholics. And he said, I thought, well, why should I do that? I'm not Catholic. But then he said, I felt kind of nudged to do it. So I did that, and that opened the door to something else. And then ultimately, it opened the door to my becoming Catholic. And he said, I just began to find that life was better when 
I followed those promptings, the fruit of which he would never have known those many years ago would look like it does right now and being able to provide for his family in this moment of terrible loss. Don't underestimate collaborating with God and the fruit that that one day may bear.